Nick Mottlung decided that he would have some of these um, dissident people from that community on the radio station invite, you know, some of the officials and they would have a little debate about this, which seems like, I'm sure you'll agree with me, um, exactly the kind of thing that you would think that community radio station in the area ought to do. The result was, was that no sooner than they scheduled the show, then 300 quote-unquote ambassadors from the Bapalmam Magali tribe showed up, mostly unemployed kids, surrounded the radio station, and basically engaged in a whole lot of really threatening behavior. Community radio stations in places like South Africa can have a lot more extreme experiences than stations in North America and Europe. Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Eric Klein. Normally, I'm hosting the program with Paul Reismandel, and on really good days, Jennifer Waits of Radio Survivor. But today, uh, as you can hear, I'm on my own. Uh, things should be back to normal since all summer vacations must come to an end at some point. Uh, so we'll be back to normal next week. But fear not, uh, Radio Survivor's Matthew Lassar is the guest on the podcast this week. And he's here to talk about community radio in the developing world. Well, we're joined on the line on via Skype with Matthew Lassar of Radio Survivor. Matthew, welcome to the podcast. It's so, so good to have you. It's great to be back. Thank you. Yeah. So we are going to talk about community radio in Africa. And I want to start by asking you, because we're going to get into some very specific uh, events that recently took place at a station in South Africa. But I want to start by asking you, Matthew, about... Um, about your interest in, in African community radio, and uh, how did it start? Well, let me give you the most pedestrian explanation for that I can. Um, I have a little Google alert, community radio. You know, <laughs> basically, basically, I just, you know, every day I get these little Google alerts of, of news about community radio stations. And when I first started that, it was mostly for Radio Survivor, you know, to provide information and to find out what's going on at community radio. I figured it would be mostly information that I would get about community radio stations in the United States. I, for some reason or other, I thought that, um, probably because I'm a United States Western-O-centric kind of person, I'm sure that's a criticism I'm making of myself. But the truth was is that almost immediately – I started getting all kinds of news items about community radio all around the world. And um, a lot of those news items were about community radio in India, which is a whole interesting story. Community radio in um, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, places like that, community radio in Mexico, and a lot of stories about community radio in Africa. And I became almost instantly fascinated by these stories because the experiences of community radio stations in those places are so, in some ways, dramatically different than the normal or normative experiences of community radio stations in the United States. In many community radio stations around the world, the assumptions of governmental friendliness or comparative governmental friendliness or societal friendliness that we sort of um, assume we have here in the United States um, don't exist. Mm -hmm. And radio, community radio stations in those places um, find themselves in very fraught relationships and tense relationships with um, larger communities around them, either around gender, around um, uh, uh, commercial interests, uh, around politics, all of these different things 
that we don't really have a whole lot of experience with in the United States. That doesn't to say that community radio stations in the United States don't run into these problems, but not in the sort of really interesting, dramatic ways that um, they happen um, in the rest of the world, in which radio stations uh, get, you know, community radio stations get shut down by the government. Um, their um, owners get put into prison. Um, they um, they get put on trial um, at the behest of governments in other countries. Um, uh, they uh, get attacked by men when there are women speaking on the radio station, and um, or they get shot, as happened in Mexico. Um, recently, in fact, the New York Times did a whole feature story about a community radio host in uh, Mexico who was recently um, shot, and so I became kind of fascinated by how different the experience is for community radio stations um, around the rest of the world. Uh, um, I'm talking about the so-called third world. There's also why you you know I, I should say that Radio Survivor does an enormous amount of coverage of community radio stations around the world. And, um, you know, we do a lot of coverage of um, community radio stations in, um, in England um, and to some degree in Central Europe. But we also do a lot of stuff about Africa. And I've been recently following the travails of a very, very struggling, recently built community radio station in South Africa called Madibeng FM. And I should say in advance that I want to apologize in advance. I, I'm, I'm not sure if my pronunciations are all that good. I tried to figure out what the correct pronunciations were, but um, I'm just going yeah. uh, as best I as best I can. But it's called Madi Beng FM. Let's just say in, it's M A D I B E N G FM one hundred five one hundred five and it's Madi Beng FM radio and it's a small community radio station in the town of Brits, South Africa. And um, where is Brits South Africa? It's in a um, it's it's in the um, the municipality, the municipal area of Madibang, which is in the province of Northwest Africa, mm. north uh, northwest, which is uh, one of the nine provinces of South Africa. And to give you a better, ex- it's it's pretty close to both Johannesburg. Um, um, it's pretty you know it's pretty close to um, Yo- Johannesburg, um, South Africa. I think that that's. So it's sort of, and it's sort of in the, you know, in the middle there, um, of 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 of, so- of South Africa, and also Pretoria. It's also pretty close to these two important metropolitan areas. But if you look at the last Google photo, Google Maps photo of it, it's in a pretty, um, a, a pretty semi-rural area. Um, it sort of reminds me of um, to the of the outskirts of Riverside, California. When I look at that photograph, uh-huh. um, you know, it looks. I, a, I see. I'm looking at it now. I see sidewalks. I see a lamp post. I, yeah, I see. Not, yeah, I see a not street, a, lot of, a paved street. Not a lot, a whole lot of stuff. It's like sort of in a commercial, in a, in a commercial storage area, and it broadcasts to, um, the um, lots of automobiles. Brits. I should add. Yeah. No pedestrians. It it, it it broadcasts to the town of Brits. It has no stream that I've been able to find. Mm-hmm. It does not have a website that I'm able to find. It has a Facebook page and a Twitter account to which it posts sporadically. Mm-hmm. And on July 21st of this year, it got into a heap of trouble right. uh, with the surrounding uh, community and um, had an experience that if I was in a running a community radio station – I'd be properly terrified. So 
here's what happened. If I could um, get to that now. Oh, please do. Uh, okay. So there's a nearby um, tribal tribe with a great big piece of land. Um, and they are the Bapoba Mogali tribe. And they're about, I think, about 35,000 people. Um, and they, you know, trace their lineage back way, way back. But, they, you know, they're sort of more recent history, about 200 years. And um, they are on a bunch of land that um, um, is blessed and probably, in, if, depending on your, your perspective, cursed by having a lot of platinum on it. Mm-hmm. And they made themselves a leasing arrangement with the Lonman Platinum Mining Company. The Lonman Pat- Platinum Mining Company is bre- based out of the United Kingdom. And um, they have had a bunch of leasing arrangements where basically, you know, Lonman has access to a whole bunch of their land to mine a whole bunch of their land um, for um, platinum and for um, other kinds of um, precious metals in exchange for which um, they get a lot of jobs. And the other thing is, is that they get money um, for it. It's a, it's, it's a leasing arrangement. And a couple of years ago, the um, Babu Mogali um, tribe's um, uh, CEO, basically, and his, um, and his associates came up with a, a deal um, with Lonman, as best I can tell, in which they uh, gave them leasing access to all this platinum, uh, but not for royalties, regular payments, but for money which could then be used to buy um, Lonman stock. And a whole lot of people, or not a whole lot of people, but a bunch of people within the, um, within, within the Bapo tribe looked at this agreement and they said, you know, that's a, that, that, it's not a great deal. Um, how did we come up with a deal like this and why weren't we told and why aren't we shown uh, this arrangement um, before it, it went into place? And there's a bunch of really big lawsuits that have been taking place over this. In addition, there are a lot of whole lot of questions about um, how that money is distributed to the Babo Mogali community. And there's also concerns about a great big palace, which has yet to be completed, um, that seems to have been funded um, by this money. Anyway, Mahdi Bang FM is nearby this, um, you know, this, this great big tribal area. This community. Yes, this great big community. And their general manager, a looks like a very nice guy named Nick Motlung. Nick Motlung decided that he would have some of these um, dissident people from that community on the radio station invite, you know, some of the officials and they would have a little debate about this, which seems like I'm sure you'll agree with me. Um, exactly the kind of thing that you would think that a community radio station in the area ought to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the result was was that no sooner than they scheduled the show than 300 quote-unquote ambassadors from the um, Bapamagali tribe um, showed up, mostly unemployed kids, surrounded the radio station, um, and basically engaged in a whole lot of really threatening um, behavior. The police were called and a negotiation took place in which the two sides compromised. It wasn't really a compromise. The compromise was basically that Mahdi Beng would stop broadcasting um, any programs about this issue. That That's not a compromise. It was basically a capitulation. But obviously, these people were quite scared. And the next day, just to make it clear, 
that um, this, this silence um, needed to continue. Um, the, um, the tribe um, bust in three busloads of individuals who basically held a demonstration around uh, the community radio station and sent them a bunch of really scary official statements, you know, um, you know notarized statements saying, heretofore and henceforth you will not broadcast any information about this. And we want you to give us any documents that you have mm. – um, about this um, right away, and um, wow, I you know I thought to, I thought to myself um, as I as I was watching this, this is um, uh, quite a thing to happen to a community radio station, and I know of nothing quite like it ever happening um, in the United States in terms of the on terms of the history of community radio. But maybe you know some of our listeners will call in and say yes, something like that or something to that effect. Um, has in fact happened. Now, there's a larger context to this uh, little or big, depending on your perspective, um, struggle about this. Um, and um, one of the things is is that um, South Africa just had nationwide municipal elections. That is to say, all the mayors and you know municipal officials in the country were. Uh, elected in 2000, um, in um, uh, just a couple, just a couple of weeks ago, and it was an earth-shattering, a politically earth-shattering um, election for South Africa because for the first time, uh, the beloved political party of South Africa, the African National Congress, uh, the party of Nelson Mandela, the party that delivered the country from apartheid and created its modern state in the mid-1990s um, and the later 1990s, took four years and created uh, you know, South Africa's new free um, non-apartheid constitution, lost an enormous number of elections, lost, lost major um, cities like, um, like Johannesburg and Pretoria to other political parties, most notably a political party called the Democratic Alliance and a smaller party called the Economic Freedom Fighters. And the really big issue, especially for young people, young people who have literally – a lot of these young people who are voting are the first generation of black South Africans uh, to, to vote free. You know, They're basically – they've never been under apartheid and for them – you know, the issue is they love Nelson Mandela. They say to reporters, you know, we love Nelson Mandela. We love the African National Congress. But corruption is rampant across the country. Um, services are not delivered e- e- equally and fairly. Taxation does not happen equally and fairly. There's a lot of, um, you know, cronyism um, all across the country. And we're not getting the services we need in terms of housing, in terms of education, in terms of these things. And the African National Congress is not. Um, is not delivering these goods, and so they have been. They have been um, uh, basically uh, um, delivering voting for these um, other parties, the Democratic Alliance and the smaller party called the Economic Freedom Fighters. Um, and um, it's a really big deal. It's a really big cultural deal, cultural political deal for South Africa. That happened also in the Madibeng municipality ah. uh, some years ago. They got 
uh, down 2011, around 70% of the population voted for the African National Congress. Now they only, not only 50% of the population voted for the African National Congress. And a lot of uh, people voted for smaller parties, including those two political parties um, that I talked to you about. So it's, so this thing that's happening in this little community radio station, Bang FM, about taxation, about, you know, economic arrangements, about the delivery of services, that's all part of a national conversation that's happening all across the country, but it's it's obviously coming fraught with tensions sure. between younger, newer, a new gen, newer generation of Black South Africans and older, more entrenched, more politically entrenched um, groups of people who are basically running the country. And um, there's even a larger context to this, which is. Um, that a lot of this sort of thing is sort of happening um, in other parts of Africa also, um, in Zambia. And we've got this, you know, we've got stories about this on Radio uh, Sur- Survivor. A regional government official tried to close down a community radio station's board last year um, because he basically didn't like the political affiliations of some of its members. And he demanded that basically the board be closed down. It wasn't closed down. Um, but um, um, when the dis- fa- he failed, the government still tried to basically block discussion programs at six other community radio operations. And there's lots of parts of South Africa where there are a lot of vibrant, interesting community radio stations. Um, but um, other countries are having a hard time coming up with ideas or you know justifications for the service. There's a lot of accusation that these community radio stations will encourage tribalism. Um, that discussion is happening also in Botswana. You know, interestingly, it looks like Bang FM really tried to take tribalism head on last month and it ran into a, an enormous heap of trouble um, for it. So I'm trying to communicate now. I'm going to try and email and communicate with some of these people and find out more about what's going on there. Um, but that's sort of um, what I'm looking at at Radio Survivor right now. And I think it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, what uh, I'm about to ask you a series of questions, uh, uh, hoping you know the answer. What kind yeah. of uh, what kind of free speech uh, traditions or rights are there, uh, generally speaking, I guess, but also specifically in South Africa? Well, one of the things that's interesting about a lot of other countries in the world is is that. Um, there, you know, here in the United States, we have this system which has been around for about for radio stations, which has been around. See, I, I guess it's been around for about a century, in which we assume that radio stations will be governed um, by um, uh, uh, that radio stations will be governed by the federal government. So, in the United States, all radio stations are basically administrated um, by the federal government, and there and. Local governments can't do much with those radio stations. Mm-hmm. You know, they, local governments can't go to a radio station and say to the radio station, "You can't do this, you can't do that." Basically, they, you know, it's it the the, the governance is almost completely federalized. That doesn't happen in the west in the rest of the world. Um, in the rest of the world, it's really unclear to a large extent. Often, especially in the so-called third world, who's in charge um, um, locally of what radio stations um, do. Um, I, um, as far as South Africa is concerned, I'm pretty sure that South Africa has 
um, a series of you know free speech um, uh, regulations in terms you know in in, in terms of, um, um, of of radio stations. Uh, but in this instance, when uh, Matty Bang went to local law enforcement. Law enforcement basically capitulated to what was going on to to um uh, to that tribe, and basically you know tried to come up with a kind of a um a, a compromise that turned out to be not such a, so much of a, of a compromise at all. So that um the enforcement of free speech is sort of the issue in a lot of these places. In a lot of these places, there are free speech prov- provisions, but the question is who's going to enforce them? Who's going to maintain them? And in many instances, local authorities and national authorities don't have the strength or the will um, to maintain them. This is most interestingly this most interestingly manifests itself in India, where India is just beginning to launch community radio stations, but to a large extent, the governments of India over the last 20 years have been very, very suspicious of them. Mm-hmm. So there's only really about 125 community radio stations um, in India. Recently, India set up a system in which you had to file security clearance forms in order to when, – when you, when, you when you run a community radio station in India, you have to file with the, um, the, with the Department of Security in India who, is the, who are the people on your boards and who are their parents – um, there, uh, I actually published that on on Radio Survivor recently. You um, you have you have to do that, um, and um, in addition to that, um, uh, uh, India recently set up a system in which community radio stations have to send regular MP3 files huh. of what they're broadcasting for fear that some of these community radio stations are being run by. Um, uh, 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 by uh, guerrilla groups or things like that. There's still there's still a lot of areas in um, in India where there's all kinds of um, um, guerrilla warfare and stuff like that. And interestingly, oddly enough, at the same time, there are police departments in the western part of India that are calling for the creation of more community radio stations um, on behalf of the populations to keep them away um, ideologically from Maoist rebels. Okay. So you have these kind of weird um, relationships in which you have parts of the government that are very, very um, suspicious of community radio stations. And then you have other parts of, of India. India is a very spread out place with a lot of different political right. formations. When I think of the word diversity, yeah. I, 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 yeah. which is a, you know, a new idea in my mind that India is one of the most diverse places you could ever imagine. Yes, it is. As far as uh, cultures, old cultures uh, coming together. So you have at the same time you have these police departments in the in 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 Western India that want to start these community and are going to start these radio stations, basically to um, combat um, the ideas and the uh, you know the propaganda of Maoist hmm. rebels. So you may have a constitution in the in in all of these countries which says that you know people have free speech, but the question is enforcing it. Um, you know, in 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 Mexico. Um, in a in a particular province of Mexico, there was a guy who recently, and we have this on Radio Survivor, um, um, who, who you know, who a couple of years ago um, was doing a community radio show about um, uh, this entire community that was sort of wiped out by a, um, a you know a dam operation, 
and um, a bunch of people um, broke into the community radio station and shot him dead right. live on the air. I remember uh, that. And you know, and um, you know, the government this same something similar to that also recently happened in um, in Honduras. Um, where you know there's tremendous political struggle going on between m- many parts of the population um, and 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 the government, and you know in those instances, especially in Latin America, every time I read about this, you know the government always says, "Well, you know um, we're going to look into this," and that's the last thing you ever hear about it um, because the government doesn't particularly want to look into this, especially in Mexico, where the government is, of course, in a very fraught situation in in many parts. Um, of of of, Mex- of of Mexico. Mm-hmm. We were talking about, uh, I guess, uh, policy regarding radio and and free speech in general, and it, it made me uh, uh, the next the next idea is um, if I wanted to start a radio station in South Africa, for instance. Uh, you know, we know that in the United States, you go to the federal government, you need permission to to to. To, to to get on a frequency and power it up and start broadcasting is it a lot uh is it a lot more uh wide open in other parts of the world who says you can have a station or not you know it's interesting that you should bring this up because in haiti mm-hmm. i was just writing about this the other day in haiti there are about 40 community radio stations that um the government, the parliament of Haiti basically is, you know, people saying we need to make these radio stations legal. They're all in very rural areas of, of Haiti. And of course, that's not hard to be. It's not hard to be in a very rural area, right. area of, of, of uh, Haiti. And they're all they all have this sort of quasi legal status um, in which it's generally agreed that these radio stations are very useful, that they do good things that, you know, that, you know, back in that terrible earthquake Radio was really the most important thing. There were all of these dorky entrepreneurs who showed up for that after that earthquake with their all, all of their broadband applications that they were trying to help everybody with. And basically, the the Ford Foundation did this interesting study of how you know what technologies, communications technologies, everybody used um, mm-hmm. to you know to reconstruct Haiti after that terrible earthquake. And basically, it was radio and texting. They all used radio and texting. And after that, all these people started these little. Um, community radio stations, and Haiti has yet to catch up with all of these community radio stations and to basically legalize them. In parts of Africa, like Zimbabwe, where you know you have this kind of power sharing arrangement between these two rival political parties that's been going on and on for years and years and years and years, um, um, uh, it's very very difficult to figure out. Who's in charge of licensing radio stations? Um, so uh, there's a lot of cronyism and there's a lot of just ac- ac- accusations of, of cronyism um, there. In the um, occupied West Bank of um, Palestine, mm-hmm. the question of who's in charge, the Palestinian Authority or the, is- or the Israeli government of licenses – um, has been a very fraught issue and some very good Palestinian radio stations, particularly a Palestinian radio station that was run by both Jewish and Palestinian people for dialogue in the area, was shut down basically at the behest of the right-wing Likud party um, some years ago. And that was very wrong um, and very unfortunate. So some of the things that we take for granted 
you know, in terms of licensing and regular procedures for licensing, not like it's perfect in the United States, as you know, you know, getting those low power FM licenses um, finally off the ground was a tremendous, you know, 15, 20 year struggle. Um, but um, it, 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 at least in the United States, um, there is a, you know, there's a, there's an established pre- procedure and there's an established bunch of um, traditions. Same thing is happening in um, the United Kingdom. You know, the United Kingdom is, is opening all these community radio stations all across the country. At the same time, it's got, or at least, you know, the government at least thinks it's got a tremendous problem with pirate radio, particularly in certain um, boroughs in London, where there are tons and tons still of pirate radio stations. And it has this publicity campaign, which is kind of cute and which it keeps on saying, you don't have to start a pirate radio station anymore. We're licensing all these community radio stations. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, it's sort of like, you know, um, it's, it almost reminds me of a don't smoke cigarettes ads for you know, ads for young people or something like that. Um, so, um, so it's in many instances, parts of the world, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not so clear who is in charge of these, especially, um, when it comes to, comes to defining things as amorphous socially as community radio stations. What's a community radio station? How do you define it? How is it different from a commercial radio station? These are things that a lot of countries around the world are still grappling with. Right. Um, I wonder, other than somebody like you, who's trying to keep track of these things, um, have you ever looked into, you know, I uh, way back on episode uh, 33 and a third was what we called that episode. I spoke with uh, somebody from from Amark, yeah. which works with UNESCO. I remember that. Are they, are they keeping track? Like, where, where do you go for information? You know, to be perfectly frank with you, the where I go for information is it comes to me. And remember that beginning, that little um, email alert community radio? Mm-hmm. That's basically rules my world as far <laughs> as far. And then I look on the internet and I look in, you know, um, you know in, in JSTOR and all these academic things. And I usually find academic studies. Um, right. There's a lot of academic studies out there about community radio in Africa. You know, there's a lot of nonprofit, you know, non-governmental organizations that fund them um, and fund them elsewhere, and they write about them. There's always things that are written about it, but it is a, you know, community radio around the world is a pretty uh, uh, fragmented, amorphous subject in which lots and lots of people are writing about it, and they probably don't know a lot about each other. Because it's not like, well, to be blunt, it's not like you make a lot of money um, or get a lot of prestige or get a lot of anything. You don't follow, say. You know, following community radio stations around the world. And yet there they are. Um, 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 and it's also important to note that while in the United States, um, FM is kind of, AM, FM is kind of, you know, seen as old hat. I just wrote this piece for Radio Survivor about this um, uh uh, uh, community rate this low power FM in, in you know in the Detroit area um, in, uh, in Metro Detroit that is you know it's got a, you know they're starting a low power FM and they're trying to convince young people to to listen to FM radio again uh-huh. right and you know you and you guys you know you and Paul were talking the other you know couple some episodes ago about this new study that you know about a fifth of all Americans no longer even have an FM receiver in other parts of the world FM is still a really big deal. Um, you know, I was rather frustrated with all this stuff about, you know, FM abandoning, you know, being abandoned by Norway, which turned out not even to be um, entirely, entirely true. Right. They were, um, they were in, thinking of uh, going straight to digital, HD right, radio. Straight, straight to digital. In India, 
Um, they're licensing FM radio stations now as fast as they possibly, commercial radio stations, as fast as they possibly can. They can't license them enough um, for the population. So the idea that, you know, on a global level, FM radio is, is you know, is, is fading away. Um, maybe, you know, in, in the more, you know, digitally, you know, developed parts of the world it is. But in lots of other parts of the world, FM radio is the thing and will be the thing for a really long time. Right. And now I have to ask you uh, almost a ridiculous question, uh, but I know that you've thought about this and you've written about it. Uh, who cares? Why? Why is an FM radio station not just um, not just blather or filler? Like what? What? What impact can it have on a place where it is broadcasting? Well, you know, this brings us back to Marty buying FM. I mean, they really tried to do what I think radio in our fraught, uh, tense, globally uh, troubled times um, can do, which is to um, promote public dialogue, uh, bring people who disagree with each other into the same place at the same time, um, um, uh, immediately uh, bringing to um, the people who listen um, uh, disparate voices, um, arguing with each other, trying to come to understandings with each other, uh, trying to um, explain themselves um, to each other and to the larger community um, in real time. And that's something that the digital world doesn't do very well in a lot of instances. The digital world is very good at you having your thing and me having my thing, you having your individual um, um, little, you know, little little stream of whatever kind and me having something else, but us not necessarily reaching each other. FM radio, uh, because it is so affordable, um, because it is so simultaneous, um, because it is, you know, because it is so um, accessible and sustainable really um, offers the world, I think, that vision of public dialogue that um, people in the mid 20th century all over the world from Lewis Hill to, um, people in the United Kingdom to, um, to, to you know, to, to, to Nehru in India um, in his vision for AM radio really, you know, saw um, it offering um, to people uh, public dialogue, um, um, a sense of national or regional um, togetherness. That's why I think um, FM radio and AM radio to a lesser extent um, can offer um, people in ways that the internet um, and, dig- and digital media can't not can't necessarily um, um, do. I'm distracted a little bit by the fact right now that um, one of my cats is in a fight with a neighborhood cat. Okay. But my, my my wife is um is is dealing with that we, at, we at, the, at the moment. Um, but um, there was just a bit a bit of a of a battle. I, I, mean, I heard um, I heard something in the background, but I think you made your statement very clearly. Okay, prior. Um, to um, and um, anyway, that reminds me that there's a community radio station. There's a low-power FM radio station in Mississippi um, that got uh, – there's a nonprofit in Mi- Mississippi that got a, um, got a, got a license um, to broadcast in a rural area of Mississippi. It's called Flash Cats Radio, uh-huh. and it's, it's, it's a low-power FM that's going to educate the public about cats, which is 
my Wait, second what? favorite <laughs> cats, which is my second favorite subject in the world. And I have to actually call them Educate. and find and find yes, or or something like that about cats and um and find out how Flash Cats Radio is doing because I haven't kept up with them for a while. So thank you for reminding me of that. Actually it was it was the cats that reminded me of that. But anyway. So well, now I have no choice but to leave that in. <laughs> so anyway, um that's that's where I'm at in terms of my interests. Um, in community, but that was a good question, and you know, and I, you know, I just wrote a book, you know, Radio Two uploading the first broadcast medium right. that basically makes that argument that the you know the great thing that radio can bring the world, um, as opposed to you know your own little cubicle uh, media, is public dialogue, and I really believe that, and I really believe that that's the reason why community radio. Um, is important all around the world. Yeah, like a, a town hall, a meeting place, a virtual meeting place. Yes, and you know there are and there are global town halls that are very successful. The most important, I I argue, being the BBC's World Have Your Say. Um, um, but there are other um, venues as well that are equally important. Right. Well, Matthew Lassar, thank you so much for joining us today on on the on the podcast. I'm glad well, we did it. I'm really glad we did it too, Eric. And thank you so much. Yeah, and we'll have we'll have links to everything that Matthew was referencing in the show notes and of course if uh, if you have an answer to Matthew's question has this ever happened before especially in the United States has a community radio station's uh, uh, intended broadcast been shut down by a mob can we should we call it a mob uh you, you can you can email us. I certainly, I, cer- I certainly think the people at Mahdi Bang experienced it as a mob. I should also say that um, we have a Patreon campaign here um, for you to support if you want if you care to support Radio Survivor. And ra- I think Radio Survivor is one of the few venues um, anywhere that spends as much time as we do peering into the rest of the world to figure out what's going on in community radio. And if that's um, yeah. worthy of support to you. Um, we'd appreciate it if you'd help us out. Well, thank you for mentioning that, Matthew, because my wheels were certainly spinning about uh, the work that should be done to dig more into this story, uh, to talk to everybody, <laughs> every single community radio journalist that I can find on the ground in Africa and India and Central America. Uh, that would be that would be an amazing, uh, amazing way to spend my time rather than... Uh, than all the other honorable ways to earn a wage. Uh, and that, that's certainly not something that, that I can afford to do without help. If uh, So that Patreon campaign is also available. Uh, you can go find it at the Radio Survivor website. You can find a link to it uh, on the show notes page. And that, that email is podcast at radiosurvivor.com if you want to email us uh, an answer to that query or, or anything else you happen to know about uh, community radio around the world. I know that we've uh, heard from a handful of listeners who are in themselves uh, contributors to community radio uh, outside of the United States. And that is uh, a thrilling use of this microphone. I'm so excited that those people are out there and that every time that they say hello to us, um, a, a light a light lights in my life. So uh, please, please do reach out. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. All right, Matthew, have a good afternoon. Nice talking to you. You too. Thank you, Eric.